Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Lord, we, we woke up and saw the sun and saw the city shining. And we thank you that you're the God who made it all and rules over all. And we want to thank you that we can know you personally and truly through your word. And so we ask now that you would help every person here, uh, including the preacher, Lord, as we look at your word to understand what it says. And that by your spirit that you would empower us to live for Christ here in this city. In Christ's precious name. Amen. How are we going to see people becoming Christians in Edinburgh? How will the good news of Jesus Christ, how will the gospel be advanced in Scotland? Uh, According to all the sociologists, what we're seeing today is not the advance of the gospel, but the decline of it. According to a 2007 Tear Fund study, 66% of the UK population have no connection with any religion or church. Now just think about that. Two-thirds of this country have no connection to any church. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And when they do actual uh, measures of of real church attendance as opposed to what people say they do, uh, the church attendance in 1999 was 7.5% of any sort of Christian church now. There was 7.5% of the population attending church. And that's down from it being 10 years before it was 10%, and before that in 1979 it was 12%. A decline of, of, of 2% every decade. Now, I don't know what it's going to be at the end of 2009, but if the trend continues, we're talking about 5% of the population who attend any sort of Christian denomination. We live in a time of the decline of the gospel in the United Kingdom. It's, it's not true as we look at the world in general, but it is true of Europe, and it is true of Britain. And so the question I want us to think about today is how can we see the advance of the gospel in Edinburgh and Scotland? Not merely how can we halt uh, the, the loss of numbers to churches. How can we actually see the gospel of Jesus Christ advance in Scotland? And we have, I guess, a special responsibility of how will we see it advance here in Edinburgh? It's a big question, isn't it? It's an important question. And what I want us to do today is to see what the Bible has to say about it. And if you're visiting with us or you missed last week, then uh, please know we're working through the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And so please open your Bibles again to the book of Philippians. And if you um, don't have a Bible with you, you should be able to grab a church Bible. And if you look to page 1178 page 1178, if you have a a church Bible that looks like this, and you'll find yourself there on a a big page which says Philippians on the top. And we're focusing this morning on the sentences that begin with the number 12 on the right-hand column down to verse 18. I wonder, did you notice the surprising way that God chose to advance the gospel in the first century to the Apostle Paul. Did you notice as it was read to us? I think there are at least 
three very surprising ways that God advanced the gospel in the first century through the Apostle Paul. And that's my three points this morning I want us to apply to our context in Edinburgh. Number one, did you notice with me the advance of the gospel through suffering in verses 12 and 13? Before I read verse 12, just think, if you were in charge of uh, promoting the gospel in the first century, in a far worse situation than even today, uh, how many churches were there in Rome at the time that Paul's writing this letter? I mean, a fraction of a percentage, a, a minuscule fraction of, the, of, a, of, of 1% that would have been Christians. Before Paul went to Philippi, zero Christians. So if you were in charge of promoting Christianity uh, in the first century, I wonder how would you have gone about doing it? And let's say, for instance, you have a fantastic resource. Uh, he is an amazing speaker, uh, a great missionary. He can speak multiple languages. Uh, he has a phenomenal intellect. Um, He's, a, he's got a track record of being a church planter. I wonder, how would you deploy that man? If we had that man today, I wonder, where would you put him? Would you put him in Sorton Prison, I wonder? No, that would be a very surprising thing, wouldn't it? Have I said it correctly? Is that how you pronounce it? Sorton? Sorton. Aye. Would you put him in Sorton Prison? That's the place. Would you put him there? I don't think we would. I don't think we would. But that's exactly what God did to advance the good news of Jesus Christ back in the first century. Now, how's that going to do any good? How's it going to do any good to put your number one evangelist, missionary, preacher, and put him in prison? How is that going to be a good plan? And clearly, the young Christians in Philippi were also very concerned. And they'd sent one of their number, Epaphroditus, uh, if you're looking for names for your children, there's an exciting one to consider. I haven't met many Epaphies, so let's bring them in. Epaphroditus, they sent this man to, to find out what was happening. Uh, probably Paul is in prison in Rome. And he returned back from visiting Paul with this letter. And this is what Paul writes to encourage them in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What a surprise. Far from hindering the spread of the gospel, his imprisonment has actually advanced it. Who would have thought it? Paul is able to see that all the hardships, all the difficulties that he has faced have actually been used by God to see the gospel progress even more. Now, actually, if the Philippians had thought about it, they'd, they'd witnessed this themselves in Philippi. When Paul first came to that city bringing the gospel, how was he treated? Well, uh, he endured uh, being beaten up by an angry mob and being flogged by the Roman authorities and being thrown into the local jail. And he willingly endured great personal suffering in order to bring the good news about Jesus to them. And they had believed it and they had begun gathering together as Christians, and that's called a church. And here again, Paul was willing to face personal suffering for the gospel. 
His imprisonment was being used by God to advance the gospel. Now, why does Paul want them to know this? Well, they're concerned about him. But I think also the main reason is that they too are beginning to suffer for their faith in Jesus Christ. If you look at chapter 1 and verse 29, just over the page there. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Now, if you're a young Christian here today, uh, there's something that you need to know. As you, as you seek to follow Christ, it is inevitable that you will face hardships for identifying with Christ. Don't want to sugarcoat this. There is a cost to following Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who uh, was imprisoned and actually killed uh, in uh, Nazi Germany, he, he wrote this. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ. And it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called to suffer. See, and as this church in Philippi faces increasing opposition and suffering, Paul wants to encourage them with this knowledge that the gospel is being progressed through his personal suffering. They should not be disheartened. They shouldn't throw their hands up in the air and think, well, what are we going to do now? It's all going terribly wrong. And he's saying, no, you need to know that actually the gospel is still being advanced even when we experience personal suffering. Let's stop for a moment, though. Is that true? Is the gospel actually advanced through suffering? That's not strictly true, is it? There's lots of suffering in this world that doesn't do anything to advance the gospel. What's missing in this heading? Well, look with me at how the gospel has been advanced. Verse 12 again, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Verse 13, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, how is it that these Roman soldiers, uh, who had very stern faces, as we saw earlier, uh, who guarded Paul, how did they come to know that he was being imprisoned for Christ? It's not just that he was willing to endure the hardships of prison, was it? Many people are doing that today, and the gospel's not being advanced. It is that he was willing to keep speaking about Jesus Christ in prison. That's the point, isn't it? That is amazing. God advances the gospel through people who talk about Jesus. Here's a radical thing to learn in church today. Let me share it with you. God advances the gospel through people who talk about Jesus, even when they're facing all sorts of hardships and difficulties, even when they might be suffering God advances the gospel through suffering proclaimers. That's the point of verses 12 to 13. He advances the gospel through suffering proclaimers. And I think this is extraordinary. You know, what, why is Paul in prison? Because he's been talking about Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in prison for talking about Jesus, I think there would be a temptation just to sort of, well, tone it down a bit. It may get even worse. I'm already in prison. Does he tone it down a bit? Amazingly, no. It doesn't stop him. 
Uh, you know, a Praetorian guard at full stretch was close to 9,000 men. Can you, can you imagine these poor, unsuspecting guards? They hardly knew what they were walking into. You know, they, you can imagine their curiosity. They're observing this man. I mean, they, they, it's pretty boring guarding people, I would imagine. And they're occasionally looking in there and looking at this guy, and there he is, and he's, I don't know, he's, he's not like the other prisoners. He's, he's, he's actually looking joyful. And at the same time, he seems sane, right? We've met people who are joyful and insane, but here is a joyful man, and, and yet he's sane. And you can imagine them for about an hour, they're kind of looking at this guy, and then they just couldn't help themselves, say, so what are you in for? And that's all the apostle Paul needed. What an impact his speaking had. I mean, rather than protesting his innocence or trying to impress them in some way, he would start talking about a Jew called Jesus who had been crucified by the Romans at the eastern end of the Mediterranean basin and who had risen from the dead. He would have told them that this same Jesus would be their judge on the last day and that the only hope anyone has of acceptance before God is by trusting this Jesus. That's what he would have told them. What are you in for, Paul? Let me tell you. And off he'd go, proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think that 9,000 men got this conversation directly from Paul, but I think he was a pretty unusual prisoner, don't you think? He was such an extraordinary prisoner with such an extraordinary message that uh, these guards were getting out back into the barracks and saying, well, you never... Have you... Have you been with that guy there? Have you heard what he said? And off they would go, talking about it. And so Paul is able to rejoice that his imprisonment had actually served to advance the gospel there in Rome. Imagine, you're thinking, I need a strategy to reach 9,000 soldiers. What would I do? Well, what a perfect place. Put you in prison and be guarded by them. That's what God did. Because he wanted the, the Roman guard to hear the good news about Jesus. And evidently, not only were people hearing about the gospel, but some were committing their lives to it as well. Just turn over to the chapter 4 and verse 21. Well, that's a happy noise. 4 verse 21. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Isn't that great? There are people in the church there who belong to Caesar's household. How do they hear the gospel? Exactly through this. God progresses the gospel through speaking sufferers. And you know, this is how the gospel will advance in Edinburgh. This is how the gospel will advance in Scotland if we're willing to open our mouths and talk about Jesus. It really doesn't get more complicated than that. It doesn't really get more scary than that. We have to open our mouths and talk about Jesus. And Paul's encouragement here is that it's not abnormal to experience some hostility and hardship if we're telling others about Jesus. It's, it's, he's being very loving here, isn't he? He's being straight up. We shouldn't be surprised. 
He wants to encourage them that having the courage to speak for Jesus in the middle of opposition, just keep going. Because God progresses the gospel through sufferers who proclaim it. And I think we need to learn the same lesson, don't we? How are people in Edinburgh going to hear the gospel? When we open our mouths and share it with them. Not sure how to do it? Come back tonight. Going to start a little series to help you. Going to point you to some resources so that we can do this. But I think it, it, is, it is easy for us to think that, that one day... God is going to put us in some amazing situation. I don't know whether you had some fantasy that, I don't know, you were, you were going home and uh, something happens and, and you rescue someone and it just so happens that the BBC there with their cameras and they shove a camera in your face and the microphone face say, why did you do that? And you say, well, because I follow Jesus Christ and I'm going to tell you the gospel and you're going to get broadcast to the nation. And you're thinking, well, when, I, what, you know, when, when that day comes, when that perfect opportunity comes, I will be a witness then. Have you ever thought like that? I'm so excited about the day that I'm going to be a witness to Jesus when everything comes together. And it's going to be magnificent. It's going to be amazing. But the truth is, right now, it's just too hard. Talking about Jesus right now, in my situation, well, that's just... I, it's too tough. Like... Life's just too difficult right now. Life's just too hard. I'm going through a lot of personal difficulties right now. I have too many limitations on my time, too many limitations on on what I can do. Do you understand? Well, the Apostle Paul looks at his chains. He looks at his limitations. He looks at his situation. looks at those who are around him. And do you know what he sees? A great opportunity for the gospel. He sees a perfect opportunity to advance the gospel right there where he is in prison. Now, I believe in the sovereignty of God and that even our hardships, our suffering, our sickness, our diseases are all under his control. Not a cell in our body is out of God's control, including the cancerous ones. Could it be that God has positioned us perfectly so that we can open our mouths and talk about Jesus? You know, if I was thinking about a strategic plan to reach the whole of Edinburgh, I'd want to put some people uh, working for the police, some people working as doctors, I'd want to have some people who worked in the media with the BBC. I'd want to have some people uh, who uh, worked in education and in schools. I want to have some people who were tour guides. I want to have some people uh, who, I, I mean, I want people scattered everywhere in every sort of job. That's what I would do. Guess what? We've got it together. It's right here. It's right now. And guess what? It's you and me. I think, wouldn't it be great if we could have people who lived all around Edinburgh, in different cities, different neighborhoods, that they could reach out to the people around them with the good news about Jesus. What about the plan? Do you think it's a good plan? Do you like that plan? It's a great plan, isn't it? If only we had a church. Oh, here you are. It, 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 
Woo! I'll tell you what, this pastor is really moving. Very strategic. And you know, I think, I want to put this question in your head, this, this thought, could it be that God in his sovereignty has put us exactly where we live, exactly in our job, <laughs> exactly in that club, that sports club, around those people, so that they could hear the gospel through us. Could it be that, do you think? Do you know what, this is my experience, it never feels right to talk about Jesus. I, I, I have never gotten to a context where I've thought, this is a great time to talk about Jesus. Every time, it feels like a huge tension builds up. And this is not the right time. Oh, this is not going to go well. This is not going to go well. They're not going to like me. They're going to reject me. I hate rejection. I want to be loved. I want to fit in. I don't want to be odd. Do you want to be odd? Well, some of you are, but praise God. <laughs> We're all a family together. Do you know, the Apostle Paul, God's word would encourage us that even if we might experience some rejection, people might think we're a bit odd, God still advances the gospel through those who are willing to open their mouths, even in suffering, to point to Jesus. That, isn't, that, isn't that what the Bible says here? Am I making this up? Now there's a second way that Paul's imprisonment has advanced the gospel. It's in verses 14 to 16, the advance of the gospel through sincere proclaimers. Look at verse 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. That's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that surprising? See, if the devil thought he was going to close down the gospel preaching by intimidation, by getting the apostle in prison, then it all backfired rather horribly, didn't it? Rather than being frightened to speak for Jesus, having seen the consequence in Paul's life. I mean, you think, you just seen, seen your top guy go in prison for talking about Jesus. You might think it would cause people to say, hang on a minute, I don't want to go to prison, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. But that's not what happened. The, the Christians there, probably in Rome, loved Paul. They loved the gospel he proclaimed, and it inspired them to, to step up. We say in America, to step up to the plate. Got two American friends here today. That's what we say, isn't it? Step up to the plate. And it really is quite opposite to what we think might happen. But in some supernatural way, having seen, Paul, seen Paul's courage to witness, they then had the courage to stand up and proclaim the gospel. Now, while living in America, I had the opportunity to visit Wheaton in Illinois on a number of occasions. I think we even have a guy who's from Wheaton, who's part of the congregation here. And um, going to Wheaton, I couldn't help but think of Jim Elliott and the four other men who graduated from the Christian college there in Wheaton in the 1950s in order to bring the gospel to the Orca Indians. And uh, not long after making first contact with a, a tribal group that no one had ever connected with, they landed the plane. Within about a day or so, they were all killed. So, you know, we see these lovely students here, and we imagine that they would leave us, go to try and reach an unreached people group. They land. Within two days, they get killed at 29. And, and the news just hit 
right around the world. It was a huge story. Jim himself was only about 29. In every human way, it seemed a total tragic waste. But you know, the amazing thing is the news spread around the world. It caused an amazing surge in missionary uh, going. Uh, Their story inspired people to step up and to cross cultural boundaries with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, of course, Eliot's words have become famous in Christian circles. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so, again, I think Paul here is encouraging these Christians in Philippi to keep proclaiming Christ. The gospel is advanced through sincere proclaimers. But the third big surprise this passage is there in verses 17 to 18, the advance of the gospel through insincere proclaimers. Now, Paul was a realist. He knew that not every consequence of his imprisonment was rosy. Now, have a look at verse 15 there. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Look at verse 17. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Now, who are these strange preachers who, um, Paul says, are preaching from pretense rather than truth? I don't think they're heretics. Uh, They're not preaching another Christ or another gospel. There are people who do that. Um... In America, I met some very delightful people who were Jehovah Witnesses and people who were Mormons. And when you talk to Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, you hear them talking about Jesus. But when you dig a little deeper, you discover it's a very different Jesus to the one that's written about in the New Testament. It's a very different Jesus to the one the Apostle Paul met and proclaimed. And Paul, actually, when he sees those sort of people coming into churches to try and change uh, what we should believe, he's very harsh. He's very down on that. He's, he's unsparing. Now, he's not talking like that about these people. Now, these preachers are preaching the true gospel. It's just that their motives were false. Now, these people saw Paul's imprisonment as an opportunity to take center stage. Well, here's an opportunity for us to shine while Paul is languishing in prison. Don Carson, uh, in his little book, suggests they may well have been critics of Paul who who think that maybe he's damaged the cause of Christ by being in prison, getting himself arrested. Silly boy, getting himself arrested. You can imagine the pompous reflection. It's really sad that such a, a great man as Paul has frittered away the gospel opportunities that... Uh, he had by simply being inflexible. That's the problem with Paul. He's inflexible. After all, I and and many others like me manage to remain at large, and we preach freely the gospel. And you just have to assume that Paul just has a deep character flaw, doesn't he? That he always ends up getting into trouble. He always ends up getting thrown in jail. What's his problem? Well, while he's in prison, my ministry is flourishing. Now, that's very real, isn't it? Does this stuff happen today? I wonder, how would you feel if you were the Apostle Paul, being aware that that was going on? You're not feeling terrific, are you? 
it's kind of hurtful to see that that's what people are doing. You're down and they're giving you a good kicking. That, that can't be good. But how does Paul handle this misrepresentation? I think verse 18 is remarkable, isn't it? Look at verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Isn't that remarkable? Whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Do you know, I've heard of a number of people who've become Christians through listening to um, men and ministries that I think are highly dodgy. Have you met people like that? They've got saved through people they should never have got saved through. (laughs) Men who, to me, look like they're just doing it to make money. They're on the take. Fleecing, foolish people. But there's no doubt that at least on one or two occasions, they've actually shared the gospel about Jesus. And people have got saved. And it drives me nuts, actually. (laughs) It shouldn't be that way. But here's the amazing thing about the gospel. The gospel is objectively true. It is about an historical person, Jesus, who lived the life that I could never have lived, who died the death that I deserved and was raised on the third day to guarantee my acceptance before God and the gift of eternal life by trusting him. That is objectively true. And I can say that message whether I'm being sincere or insincere, it is still objectively true. That's the amazing thing about the gospel. Its power and its influence is not affected by how I feel about it. Some days I may feel terrific about it. Maybe I don't feel terrific about it. It doesn't matter. It is the same powerful gospel message. During the 18th century, um, George Whitfield, who preached to thousands of people, he was followed by many hecklers uh, outdoors. Thankfully, there were so many tens of thousands, they often got crowded off somewhere else. And I, I didn't have time to chase up this reference, but I recall in my reading in the past of one man who uh, used to love impersonating Whitfield. So Whitfield was there preaching to people. He'd be off the side trying to gather people around him, and he would be taking off Whitfield and mocking him, just mocking him, trying to distract. Well, at one, uh, one day, while he was walking, mocking, walking, while he was mocking Whitfield, he was saying the words of the gospel. And as he did so, he came under deep conviction of sin, and right there and then fell to his knees and repented and trusted in Christ. You see, this gospel is powerful. It will change people's lives. You know, as a conservative evangelical church, we have a high commitment to doctrine and sound theology, and I think that is dead right. Not saying less than that. But you know, there is a real danger, isn't it, that such knowledge can puff us up. And we can proudly look down 
on other churches and other ministries who do not have things quite as right as we do. And in fact, the closer they are to us, but a bit distorted, the more we will disdain them, which is kind of perverse, isn't it? But there's a real danger of that. And we must watch that we don't have a partisan spirit that engages in ministry motivated by desire to outdo others, to show how right we are. That would be a very twisted reason for doing ministry, wouldn't it? It would be sad if we failed to rejoice when other churches uh, seem to be getting more success. Uh, we fail to rejoice with them, but instead kind of mutter, well, they must be selling out. They must be selling out. And I'm challenged because that sort of attitude I see in my own heart, that response is right, is right here. And I'm challenged by the apostles' passion for Jesus and his gospel, aren't you? The progress of the gospel was so central to his aspirations that it enabled him to endure personal affliction and persecution. He'd done jail time before. He would do jail time again for the gospel. He'd been flogged before. He'd be flogged again because his central aspiration was to see the gospel advance. And I am challenged by that. And the advancement of the gospel was so central to his life goals that he could even swallow the fact that some people were out there telling the gospel to get at him. And he could swallow that and just say, praise God. What does it matter? Christ is preached. Now, is that true of us? You know, I'm excited to be a pastor of this church. I really am. I keep meeting people who are living with gospel priorities. I keep having conversations with people who uh, weren't Christians, got brought here, got saved, and are now wanting to serve and live for Jesus. I just keep bumping into them. Tom, who led the service today, that's, that's true of Tom. And I'm thrilled to see this. And I praise God for all those who, 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 for whom this advance of the gospel is their central joy and passion. Is that true of you? Are you one with us in that? Do you want to see the advance of the gospel in Edinburgh throughout Scotland and the whole world? Is that really your driving ambition and passion? Well, when it is, we will joyfully endure hardship for the sake of Christ. We will, because that's what we're about. And we will rejoice to see the gospel advancing amongst churches and ministries around us, even if that means we start looking less significant. Well, brothers would just be thrilled. Do you know, if we're really committed to gospel growth, and that's different to church growth, isn't it? Church growth is, oh, we've got to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Gospel growth is that we want to see the gospel get bigger and bigger and bigger and have an influence. And it might well be, if we're committed to gospel growth, we're going to get smaller because we're sending people out with the gospel. We might shrink. We might see church sizes go down, but that being the cause of the gospel going up. Isn't that right? And, of course, 
if that is the case, we will rejoice because Christ is being preached. Well, I want to pray that that will be true for us. And if you agree with that, you might want to say amen at the end. Uh, I want you to know I've been spending some time over the last few weeks meeting with some of the pastors in town. And I rang, a, I rang up a couple of pastors this week to say, how can we pray for you as you advance the gospel in, um, in Edinburgh? And uh, Carl Martin from Morningside Baptist, he asked for prayer uh, for their Alpha course. They had 60 attending an Alpha meal at the Roxburgh just across the street here. 60 people attending that meal. And they're starting a new Alpha course in Starbucks on Princess Street. What a great idea. And I'm going to pray the Lord will bless that. And Carl was also asking for, the, 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 for wisdom as they try and find a new place to meet. Uh, they had a building that uh, has been moved, sold, and they're struggling to contain everybody in the existing building that they have, and they're looking for somewhere to meet. So let's pray with them that they can find a place where they can meet. I spoke with uh, Mark Schenk from Duncan Street Baptist Church. He was here at my induction, remember Mark. And he's, the church is based in Newington there. And I said, how, how can we pray for you? How, what can we do to help you in your uh, involvement in spreading the gospel? And he said, well, I think we need five new families that will really help resource us to get the gospel out in the Newington area. So I'm going to pray about that. And maybe you live in the Newington area. Uh, maybe you're not really involved in gospel partnership right now at, at, at Charlotte Chapel. So can I encourage you to think about, could you be the answer to this prayer, that you might be one of those families that will link with Mark in the spread of the gospel at uh, Duncan Street Baptist Church? Well, let's pray, shall we? Ah, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us. Even when we were sinners, you showered us with your love in sending your Son to die in our place so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be made right with you. Thank you for such amazing grace. And fathers, we've, we look at your word, we're just, we're just challenged because we don't have that same passion that the Apostle Paul has here. And yet, Lord, in our hearts, we long that it would be, that it would be true of us that the advance of your gospel would be our central passion. That it would enable us to endure opposition, rejection, hardship, and that we would be able to rejoice to see the gospel progress in this city. So we ask that you would do that in our hearts and through our church. And we pray particularly for uh, Carl's ministry at Morningside Baptist Church, and we thank you for the way you've grown that congregation. And we pray that you would help them as they look for a new facility that they can meet together. They'll be able to find a place that's close to where they're based now, where they can meet together as a church. And we thank you for those who attended the Alpha Meal. And we pray that uh, you would greatly bless these sessions at Starbucks, that many would come to know Jesus and put their trust in him. We thank you for Mark Shank and for the elders and the team there at Duncan Street. We thank you for their commitment to the gospel and their heart to make an impact. Well, please... Answer their prayer for five new families that could come alongside. Lord, stir even hearts here that might want to be partners with them, that we may be able to be an encouragement to this ministry in Edinburgh. Lord, we long that your gospel would advance in this city and in this nation. 
and we need your Holy Spirit to give us boldness to speak. Lord, we're looking to you that you would do this for the good of those who are, who are lost, who need the gospel, and for your glory. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.